0: Jesus you my save your Lord and King Yeshua I will love and save you all over. Yes are we Jesus you must save your Lord and King Yeshua Jesus say Lord you are good you are the best you are the one I will follow all the days of my life I'm not turning back I'm not turning back I'm not turning back it is you alone that I will worship thank you Jesus in Jesus name amen put your hands together for Jesus and have your seats Let's do a study in the book of Titus tonight.
1: I will love and save you all my life.
0: Yes, so we Jesus, you will save me, Lord and King. Yes, you oh, are. I will never leave you all my life no no way Titus chapter 3 have you seen it last time we were here we stopped at verse uh, 7 no verse 6 we stopped at verse 6 Titus 3 Titus 3 verse 6 let's read from verse 4 we are going to shadow down from verse 7 after that the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared not by works of righteousness which we have done but according to his mercy he saved us at the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost which he shared on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior that being justified by his grace we should be made heirs according the hope of eternal life. Two words to just look at there quickly. Justified and then here's. Justified here's. Or maybe the word hope again. Justified, here's hope. Somebody say justified. Say here's hope. Or say the hope. The hope, the hope. In another place in the Bible it's called the blessed hope. Peter calls it the lively hope. Paul calls it the blessed hope. Looking for that blessed hope, one man calls it the lively hope. Another translation calls it the living hope. The living hope, the lively hope, then the blessed hope. That being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That being justified, to be justified means to be declared. Not guilty to be stified means to be declared and acquitted. You were accused, looked like you were going to jail, and then your lawyer stood up and made a brilliant defense. And our defender Jesus Christ. All the proof that Jesus presents to the courts of heaven. To say that you are no longer a sinner. You are no longer guilty of your sins. All the evidence that Jesus has to present. In his uh, presentation of his case. Trying to defend you two facts. The fact of his resurrection. The fact of his resurrection. Number one. Then number two. The fact of your faith. Once Jesus rose from the dead the Bible says that's uh, Romans 4. Let's look at Romans 4. He was raised from the dead for our justification. Romans four.
1: Okay. Let's read
0: from verse twenty two. Romans 4. Have you seen it? And therefore, it was imputed to him for righteousness. He's talking about Abraham. Because he believed, he simply believed and it was imputed to him for righteousness. Now, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him. But for us also, to whom it shall be imputed, if we believe on him. In other words, if we believe in Jesus Christ the same way Abraham believed in Jesus Christ, then the righteousness that was imputed to him, righteousness will also be imputed to us. Anybody who believed in the animal sacrifice in the Old Testament was a believer in Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ had not come at that time, had not yet come. So the animal stood in place of Jesus Christ. That's why when Jesus came, was described as the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the whole world. Now, if we believe in Jesus, the Lamb of God, then we are justified from all things. Every sin we ever committed is not charged to our account anymore. Verse 24. Look at verse 24. Romans 4 24. But for us also, to whom it shall be imputed, if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead who was delivered for our offenses Jesus is the one described as having been delivered for our offenses is that in verse 25 verse 25, Jesus somebody said Jesus was delivered for our offenses the word delivered here is not saying delivered from something, was offered Handed over. Give it. Delivered. Say, did you delete? Has DHL delivered the parcel to you? Delivered. It's different from delivered from something. This one is handed over. Jesus. Someone say, Jesus. Say, according to Romans 4.25, say that. Jesus was delivered for our offenses. Meaning he died for our sins. Offenses, they talk about trespasses, sins. He was delivered for our offenses. And was raised again for our justification. Look at it. He was delivered for our offenses. He was raised again our justification now when he was delivered for our sins he paid for our sins when the courts of heaven said that the payment the sacrifice the atonement was enough he was raised from the dead the Holy Ghost was sent down from heaven after Jesus had been in hell for three days the Holy Ghost was sent down from heaven to hell To get Jesus born again. He had finished pain. The Holy Ghost went there to get Jesus died spiritually. It was only possible for Jesus to die physically. Because he had died spiritually. Jesus Christ that was not spiritually dead. Could not have died physically. To be spiritually dead means. To be physically alive, you are breathing. But you have lost out the life of God. The the, the, the life of God. The way of God, you've lost it. So, you are described as being spiritually dead. Even though you are physically alive. And that's the sorry state of every unbeliever. They are physically alive, strong, going up and down, making money, making worldly fame. But they they don't have the life of God. So they are physically alive but spiritually dead. Meaning to become destitute of God's life. When God's life is longer in in your physical human life. Biological life. You are still breathing. It's alive. But it's dead. Because he is lacking the life of God. So that's a spiritual death. To be spiritually dead means to be physically alive but not having the life of God. So you are physically alive, you are spiritually dead. Now Jesus became sin on the cross. As soon as the whole sin of the whole human race was placed on Jesus on that cross, he died spiritually. And the very minute that Jesus felt that the life of God had just been yanked out of him was when he screamed, "My God, My God, why hast Thou forsaken me?" That's what happened. If you are plugging your, if you are charging your phone on the wall socket, and then you just go and pulled it from the wall, immediately you will see the sign on your phone. It will just happen on the physical. That is, especially if your phone was on. Well, I don't know, but you will see it. Okay. If you switch your phone off and put the charger to the phone, and then put the other end to the wall and switch it on, you'll see <laughs> something will you enter your phone. You'll see it's charging. That is how sensitive. And I kind of like this thing. I'm explaining to you why. Right I want you to catch it. That is how sensitive Jesus Christ is to the life of God living him. He was in pain on that cross. It was not immediately he was on the pay, uh, It was not immediately he was on the cross and he was going through all the pains. It was not immediately that God's life left him. There was a particular second. Blackout. Immediately he lost out. Immediately Jesus was disconnected from God. He knew it. Jesus was a man with spiritual senses, so keen. Keen senses. As soon as Jesus was unplugged from power source, he knew it. This man knew that God's life had just left him. And he pained him. He cried out. Say, God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That cry that Jesus cried is the cry that all these unbelievers ought to be crying. They don't know. They're walking around the spiritual death. And they're not crying, they are happy. Jesus felt it so low. I've lost God's life in me. We say, I got a life of God in me. I've I'm, 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 but in Jesus, he lost it. And said, God, why have you forsaken me? But it was not even Jesus that God forsook. He forsook sin. That was the very minute that the sin of the whole human race was put on. Not that he carried that sin all of the hours he was on that cross. Mm-mm there is a timing that the spirit world waited for, to lay on him. As soon as that sin was laid on Jesus, Jesus became sin. And when he became sin, God's life jumped out. Because God and sin cannot cohabit. It is the introduction of sin to Jesus that that knocked out the life of God. And God's life jumped out. And Jesus felt it. Eli, Eli, Eli. Laments about time. My God, my God, my God. Why hast thou forsaken me? If you ever had, there was no video. If anybody ever video recorded the way Jesus really cried it, it's not just the way we are la- we're reading it now. It was a cry of anguish felt it. He, he was sad. Why
1: has that
0: for sin? this? This issue of salvation is a desperate thing. God to send his son to go through all of that all in a bid to save humanity. It is a desperate love. It is a desperate show of love. Just that God can by all means save people. Let's look back to this place again. Romans 4.25 Who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. When Jesus was raised from the dead it is a proof, it is an evidence that we are declared not guilty anymore. Whatever sin was laid to our charge, whatever the guilt of sin and sin nature was in our lives, Jesus was raised again from the dead for our wife. In other words, that we might be justified. And each time you think of the fact of his resurrection, rejoice in your spirit because he shows God is not holding sins against you anymore. Justified. Just as if, one man said justified means just as if I never sinned. Yeah, it's it's true. He said to be justified means just as if I never sinned. That's the way God sees us and brothers and sisters even when a Christian commits a sin because Christians do commit sin don't fool yourself don't deceive yourself because we are still in this flesh sometimes we fall into sin yeah that happens Christians do commit sin and that's why the doctrine of confessing your sins and receiving forgiveness is in the Bible. That doctrine, confess your sin and receive forgiveness, that doctrine cannot be wished away because without it, none of us is going to make heaven. Forget it, none of us can make heaven if there is no forgiveness of the sins that Christians commit. That has to be put in, that was put in place, that arrangement that Christians should be forgiven of their sins. When they come, not if they, is when. Because Christians will commit sin. They are human. I don't know if you get what I'm saying. It's a matter of when. I heard one, one man ago say, well, I don't, I'm not a sinner, and I don't live a life, lifestyle of sin, but I still do commit sin. He said, but not as frequent as I used to when I was a non-believer. I, this, those were his words. I was, I was watching him teach it one white man. I think it was uh, Jesse Duplantis. Have you listened to Jesse Duplantis? Jesse Duplantis said I can go a long time without committing sin. But still I will still commit sin all along the line. But when I was a unbeliever, I commit sin more frequently. <laughs> Reverend Jesse Duplantis. And when he's preaching, you will all be laughing. But the man talks like a comedian. Oh yeah, he has a great sense of humor. I've heard of Jesse Duplantis here. Yeah? All those cliques of uh, Kenecoplan, uh, Jerry Savell, and they're our friends. You know, they're in ICFM. Uh, International Convention of Faith Ministries. The man said, I go a long time. He said, I don't commit him frequently anymore. But I cannot tell you that I don't commit him again so long. As in answer, if anybody tells you that he doesn't commit sin again because he's a Christian he's just lying, he doesn't even know the Bible if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us is that correct? where, where, where did I just quote from? First John First John 1 he said but if we confess our sins he's faithful Let, let's, let's even look up something No time let's, let's, let's save time and make some progress here to show you people something. Holy Ghost is drawing me back to to something. First Corinthians chapter 1. You know, the style of Bible study does not necessarily mean all we will ever read is Titus. It's just that we begin from Titus and some Wednesday service we are able to, to go more with Titus. But some Bible study we just begin with it, and we we'll go to all other portions of the scriptures as the Holy Ghost leads. That is called Bible study. It doesn't just mean because we are studying the book of Titus that you read verse seven, you read eight, you read nine, you read ten. If not, we would have finished this book of Titus in, in Wednesdays, uh, in three Wednesdays. It's just three chapters. So don't finish at it. But what is there is that it's only serving as our major study book and then our beginning text as you begin to explain the things in that verse of Titus, you cannot do justice to that verse without checking up some places that the Holy Ghost will want you to check up in the Bible to understand some verses in Titus. You need to even go to some places in Romans, Corinthians, Galatian, as, as, as the Holy Ghost lead. We have used so many books since we began studying Titus in this church. We've, like tonight, we read, we read Romans. And tonight, we are going to check 1 Corinthians chapter 1. It's the titles we are trying to explain. That's how Bible study is done. Amen. So, look up 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Have you seen it? Let's read from verse 1. As I read, just follow me. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and sustaining our brother unto the church of God which is at Corinth to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus called to be saints with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord both theirs and ours. I want you to notice something in that verse too. Unto the church of God which is at Corinth to them that are sanctified in Christ, somebody says, "Sanctified in Christ, called to be sent." Say it one more time, "Sanctified in Christ." Say it again, "Sanctified in Christ." Called to be sent. Called to be saints Look up. To be sanctified means to be separated. From a secular, profane, mundane use to a spiritual use. To be separated. When something is separated from a secular, physical, regular, everyday use and declared dedicated for the service of God, for the use of God, that thing or that person becomes sanctified. If this drum set is being rented by unbelievers, uh, we say we need money. So some people come and hire a drum to go and do a secular music concert. And we say we need some money so let them rent it. This drum is no longer sanctified. When this drum is consecrated only for holy music, spiritual gospel music. In fact, that tells us this drum is highly sanctified because it has never been taken to a club. This drum has never been rented by uh, uh, juju musicians. So this is... But if this drum was being used by a juju musician or a secular artist, and then, the artist gets born again. Says, as from today, all my equipment that I used to let my friends rent and music colleagues rent. I'm not going to allow them rent it anymore or borrow it anymore because I want it to be fully dedicated for holy use. It's only gospel music that must be played on this drum. That is where I idea, sanctification, meaning it is separated from a profane use or to a, unto a holy use and the devil has used you as an unbeliever and God wants to use you satan has lived in your life as an unbeliever now jesus lives in you christ in you the hope of glory anybody that christ is in is sanctified say amen It's separated the word sanctified is not talking about washing the person on the cleaner, on the washer, or water the washer. just be separated from a profane use to a holy use. Now, Paul is telling the Corinthian church. He said, "Paul and Sosthenes, our brother, we are writing and greeting you guys in Corinth." You guys that are sanctified. You guys that have become saints. You are the ones we are writing to. Now the Catholics believe. You must die. And then the Pope will come. And beatify you. And then you become a saint. But the saints in Corinth. To whom Paul wrote. Were alive. Dead men don't read letters. Amen. Amen. He's writing to saints. He's writing to a group of people that he called sanctified in Corinth. Sanctified folks in Corinth. Saints in Corinth. Not in heaven. Where the Catholic get the idea that you must die. And then you must be beatified first. After some years you get uh, to become a saint. Can you see in the Bible here that people that were in Greece and you know Greece is in Europe Corinth is a city in Greece some people there because they believed in Jesus Christ were called saints some people there because they believed in Jesus Christ were called sanctified now if they believed in Jesus in Greece and they were called sanctified how come we in Ikorodu here We believe in Jesus Christ. We are afraid to say we are sanctified. If people who believed in Jesus in Greece were called saints and they were living, they were breathing, they had not died, they were called saints, how come people are waiting to die? In fact, I even hear some Christians say, ah, ah, I'm not a saint to, ah, I'm not, uh, I'm not pretending that I'm holy. Uh, I'm not a saint to, uh, if you know you are a saint, you say to me, I'm not a saint to, and I've seen born again Christians say I'm not a saint too. You are lying. You are a saint. If a born again person is not a saint, who is the only believer that will be a saint? Who will be a saint? Okay. You angels are not even called saints. The title is not used for them. And you know angels are holy. They are called holy angels. But they are never addressed as saints. When you say "sense of God," it's talking about human beings that are washed by the blood of the Lamb. They are born again. They have become justified, declared not guilty. When when God looks at a Christian, He sees somebody that has never committed sin. That's what He sees. This gospel of Jesus Christ that we preach, if we understand it and preach it well, some people we first think we are blaspheming. If you tell a Catholic, hey, look at me, I'm a saint. Ha! Ah, you! To him, you are blasphemy. Then the next thing to say, so, you, it means you don't commit sin at all. No, it is not those who don't commit sin at all that are called saints who, Let me show you something in Philippians chapter, uh, Philippian chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. Philippians It is not those who do not commit sin at all, though, that the word saint is describing, you know, Have you seen verse 1? Philippians 1 1. Paul and Timothy, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi, with the bishops and the deacons. Jesus Christ. See, all the people Paul ever wrote letter to, he always addressed address them as saints. Whenever Paul wrote, he said, I'm writing to saints at Philippi. I'm writing to saints in Corinth. And this Corinthian church that he calls saints is among them somebody was sleeping with his father's wife. So that you understand that the word saint doesn't mean you don't commit sin. No. He already greeted them as saints. So, and he said, Yet yeah, one of you is sleeping with his father's wife. Maybe he already said they were saints. Okay. Chapter 1, he prayed them, sanctify, called to be saints. Chapter 3, he said, yeah, yet cannot same book. Now, now, now. From one chapter to another. He hailed them. Sanctified. Bang, bang, Christians. The next chapter, you are yet carnal. Yes, the carnal person is still a saint. It will shock you. It is the natural man that is not a saint. There are three men in the world. Someone say three men in the world. The natural man said that the carnal man and the spiritual man. The natural man has not accepted Jesus Christ. He's not born again. He's not born again. He can never be called sanctified. He can never be called a saint. He's natural. As in my man born out and so is TB, he has not accepted Christ. He's not yet born again. Then, somewhere along the line, the gospel is preached to him. He accepts it. He gets born again. He becomes a new creation in Christ Jesus. Now when you now become a new creation, two new classes of human beings evolve. All men born into this world are called natural. Then once you accept Christ, you are now either in the carnal class or in the spiritual class of human beings. In other words, it is the Christians that form the second and third class, the natural class, uh, the, the, the 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 natural man, the first uh, 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 human class, unregenerate, destitute of the life of God, unbelievers, spiritually dead, called natural man. Then, when you get born again, you now be, you are now spiritually alive. But you can be carnal or spiritual depending on how fast you renew your mind. The word of God we use in renewing our mind as Christians is what determines whether we are in the carnal class or in the spiritual class. But the carnal Christians and the spiritual Christians, they are all Christians. They are all born again. A carnal believer is still better than the natural man. Hello? There is more hope of a carnal man than there is of a natural man. The natural man, the, spro- the problem is with his spirit. The spirit has not been recreated, mean born again. Whereas the carnal man, his spirit is born again, but his mind is largely unrenewed. So the the problem. Of the cattleman is not in his spirit, it's in his mind, the soul realm. Whereas that unbeliever, his problem is fundamental, it's in his spirit. He does not even have the spirit of God, he does not even have the life of God at all. Am I teaching something tonight? The problem with the world is that their spirits are not recreated. But the problem with the church is that much of the church mind. The problem in the world is unregenerated state. But the problem with the church is unrenewed mind. I, I take that again. Let this thing sink. The problem of the church is different from the problem of the world. The problem with the world is their unregenerated state. But the problem with the church is their unrenewed state of mind. But their case is better. The church is better off. Oh, Are you learning something? Now, if you are called sanctified and you are called a saint, it means you must not call yourself a sinner. I have heard some Christians say we are all sinners. I have heard some Christians say that we are all sinners, Jerry, Have you not heard a Christian say that a saint can never be a sinner or a saint can commit sin i'm teaching you something a saint is not a sinner or a saint can commit sin which means when a christian commits sin he's not called a sinner He's just called a saint that just sinned. A saint that just sinned. or he's not a sinner. To be a sinner means it is your nature to sin. It is not the nature of a Christian to sin. It is not the nature of a man to bark like a dog. Bark. Woo! 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 Is that not how dogs bark? It is their nature to bark. It is not the nature of a man to bark. Though a man can mimic barking. A man can say, I just said it. Woo! 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 I just did it. But does that make me a dog? It's not the nature of a man to bark. But a man can decide to bark. He says, Woo! Woo! He don't bark. But is he a dog it is natural for dogs to bark it is unnatural for a man to bark he may try to bark it's unnatural with him it's a fake barking when a Christian commits sin it doesn't make the Christian a sinner I'm teaching you what the Bible says he is called a saint, even though he just committed sin. He is called a saint that sinned. and as a saint, he will ask God for forgiveness, and he will get it. He's a saint; he will get it. He says, "One oh no, of," he says, "You know, forgiveness is one of the breads that belong to children. They say healing is a children's bread." And Jesus said, I cannot give this bread to dogs, meaning to unbelievers. Forgiveness is one of the biscuits that that children of God enjoy. I just use the word biscuit. Children's bread, children's cookies. We are the ones that enjoy it. We are called saints. Somebody say, I'm sanctified. Say, I am a saint. Clap for Jesus. Clap for Jesus. We think we should not be telling children about this kind of a thing and you maybe give them a license to sin. Nobody ever needs a license before he commits sin. Nobody. That is what the Bible says. Teach it to them. Teach it to them. Because we do not even understand the full concept of sin. That's why we think that uh, 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 you know, we, we we think oh, I know they smoke, I know they drink, I know they womanize I know they sing uh, I know they drink because i have listening to people talk. I can tell that in their mind, they think these three things are the only things if you not smoke you not drink, you not carry a woman, then you are holy. I have listened to the way they talk. I can tell that is their mind. There are people who don't drink, they don't smoke, they don't womanize, and yet they are sinners. And a lot of people do not understand what sin is. So drink, smoke, carry woman, or woman carry man. It's you carry woman or you carry man. And so some people think once you run through these three and you are not guilty of any it means uh, that, that's what made you a saint. No. You became a saint because you have accepted Jesus Christ. That's how, that's how you became a saint. His positional righteousness saints in Christ sanctified in Christ Mm. Outside of Christ, you are a sinner. Whether you smoke, you drink, you humanize, but you are outside of Christ, you are a sinner. I've seen some unbelievers who are self-righteous. Those things you are struggling with, they are not even struggling with it, but yet, they still don't go to hell. Some unbelievers. Let me go back to Titus. Let us read seven again that being justified by His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Some we say hairs. What does it mean to be called a hare? That one is made clear by me turning to let us turn to Romans Romans again. Romans chapter 8. Have you seen Romans chapter 8? Verse 17. And if children Okay, let's read from verse 16. Verse 16. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Somebody say we are children of God. Say we are children of God. And if we are children, then we are heirs. And if we are heirs of God, then we are joint heirs with Christ. Did you follow my reading? If we are children, according to verse sixteen, then it means we are children. Uh, it means we are heirs, because he said, "And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ." So it has a right. Of inheritance is called a hair, and Jesus Christ, being the Son of God, has the right of inheritance. Whatever was given to Jesus Christ by the Father, Jesus Christ says we are joint hairs with him. Is that what joint hair here? 17. Somebody said, joint hairs. Now, this this thing will shock you. When God gave certain inheritance or inheritances to Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is telling we the saints that what was bequeathed to him is bequeathed to you and I also. Because we are in Christ. So we are joint heads. So, when certain terms, certain terminologies are used in the Bible, if you understand them, such as this Bible study is helping us to do, there's a way to help your faith in the exercise of authority. Now, look at it, verse 17 again. If we are children, then we are heirs of God. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with Him, that we may be also glorified together. Amen. Now, what does this mean? When authority was given to Jesus Christ, when he sat at the right hand of the Majesty on high, authority was given to him. That was the same way. The, that was the same day the authority was given to those one hundred twenty disciples in the upper body. By that Holy Ghost, through Jesus, the one hundred twenty disciples received Holy Spirit again, became joined with Christ now the same way Jesus was able to cast out devils is the way we also are able to cast out devils because the authority he had over the devil he transferred to us it is called delegated authority he delegated authority to us he said in my name you shall cast out devils. In my name you shall lay hands on the sick, they will recover. In my name mean by my authority backing you up. In my name mean by my authority given to you. When you are dealing with a demon or a witch or a wizard, they won't respect you if you don't say in Jesus name. Whenever you say in Jesus name, you are trying to say by Jesus authority, come out. In the name of Jesus, means by Jesus' authority. When you are even talking to God the Father, you say, Father in the name of Jesus? In other words, it is the Son of God that gave you right to become a Son of God. John 1, 12. Quickly, John 1, 12. This one will not be preaching, no, not teaching, no. I said, this one will not be preaching, no. Should not be preaching at all, Sister Esther. Not be preaching. This one not teaching. John chapter one, verse twelve. Can I read it? But as many as receive him, to them gave a power to become sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Now, how many of you have any translation that says authority or gave right? Anybody here? Your own says right. Peter Young know says what? Right. Okay. That translation is correct than the King James that I am using here. It is not translated power in, uh, in a new King James fashion. It is translated authority or it is translated right. Power is from the Greek word dunamis. You shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come. Acts 1, eight you shall receive dunamis, dunamis, power the one that is translated er- erroneously as power here is exousia and exousia means right or authority It's never translated power so those who did this King James version they goofed in their translation on this verse that's why there is a new King James Version where they sought to correct the imperfections of the Orthodox King James. Okay. So, we'll read, as many as received him, he gave right or authority to become the sons of God. I have right to demand rent from those landlords after I showed them the power of action Amen. A few minutes, we'll round off. But five minutes, let's tidy up still in Titus, go back to Titus Titus verse 7 that being justified by his grace we should be made Act, oh Lord heirs. wait a minute, this word again do you know that if you ask, if you are praying to God the Father in the name of Jesus Christ the only reason God hears you you he prayed in the name of Jesus Christ It is Jesus Christ that gave us the right to come to the Father. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Is that your Bible? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man can access the Father but by me. Think about that. Think about that. Jesus talking, no man that is why when we pray we say Nioruko Jesus." it is the mention of that name that both God and devil respects. God respects the name of Jesus. He tells the world you can't come to me devising another way. You must come by my son whom I have made the head of all things. That's the way Bible describes Jesus Christ whom he made Whom He appointed heir of all things, Hebrews chapter one. Turn there quickly. Hebrews one, verses one and two. Are you there? God. Somebody say God. Do you know this is the only book in the Bible that begins with God? The book of Hebrews is the only book of the sixty-six books in this Bible where the name God began it. Amen. Somebody say God who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken unto us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things. Let's go it off right there. Jesus Christ has been appointed heir of all things. No Christian can receive authority can receive power if Jesus has not delivered it to you. God willed everything. God willed everything to Jesus. And Jesus will share it with whomsoever he wills. And those who believe in Jesus, he calls you my joint heir. If you believe in Jesus, you are a joint heir with Christ. Who made you a joint heir? Jesus. Who granted you access to the father? Jesus. Because all things were willed to him. Whom he has appointed heir of all things. Is that not interesting? Jesus was appointed heir of all things. Now we come to Jesus, he shares those all things with us. All those all things, authority, power, shares with us. He shares with us. He shares with us. I'm able to say in the name of Jesus, you spirit, I bind you. And the demon is bound. Who am I to decree to talk to demons? If not that a certain authority has been given to me. I am not the one that defeated the devil. I didn't go to hell. Jesus did. He went to hell. I'm not the one that spoiled principalities and powers. Jesus did. But he gave me authority to deal with those demons. And the authority he has, he received of the father. He is the head. God appointed Jesus head of all things. It is not Jesus that bequeathed those rights to us. But he was made head of all things. Authority, power, power, glory. He even said we are glorified with him. He's the one that shares the glory with us.